All right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Robbie Baxter. I'm the director of assimilation here at Christ Community Church. So good to be with you. Just thinking about the ways in which um, the Lord is so good to us as a church, just as we were singing a mighty fortress and 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 all the good things that he is for us and, and all the ways in which I've been so blessed by, by your ministry to me and seeing that ministry extended to each other. What a wonderful thing that is. All right, we're in uh, Colossians again this morning, so if you'll turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 23. 16 through 23. And remember, as we've been going through the book of Colossians, the, the two twin themes that we've seen Paul really hammer home for us have been the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And, and as we've talked about, many of us have talked about it in the small groups these past couple weeks, it, it's sort of language that maybe if we've been Christians for a long while, we've grown accustomed to. And maybe it's just sort of at the were and the, the were in the back of our minds, and we, we can sometimes hear it and think, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I, I got it, I got it. Jesus is supreme, Jesus is sufficient, that's what Christians just believe. And, and that's true, and what a glorious truth that is. But I think it's important, and, and how beneficial it's been for us as a church, to really take some time and maybe slow down and, and think about what it really means that Jesus is the supreme one, what it really means that he's the sufficient one. Um, I, I ask us at the very start of this sermon this one question, what does it mean to be free in Christ? And, and really, what does it mean to be free is a question the whole world is asking and has been asking for forever, really, and, and giving all sorts of answers to this question. And, and as we think about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus, we realize we have an answer to this question that far surpasses anything we could possibly come up in our own power. Uh, anything that the world offers us, anything that we could try to get or, or try to get through idols that we make, we have an answer to the question, what does it mean to be free? Because we belong to the one who is supreme above everything and is sufficient for us. And so it means that we as Christians enjoy a freedom that is as great as it is possible for human beings to, to have and to enjoy. And it's contrary to uh, all enslaving rules and regulations which would hinder or obscure our ability to, to know and, and love God deep down in our heart of hearts. And so you see that the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ relate very practically, very practically to how we're to live as Christians. Um, and, and we're meant to live as Christians who are free from all judgment and all enslaving regulations that would, that would show us something other than Jesus, uh, show us something other than Jesus as sufficient for salvation and, and is worthy of all of, our, uh, all of our worship and adoration and exaltation. And, and they do away with, with all enslaving rules and regulations which bind us to the sin which once held us down and, and made us unable to draw near to God. Jesus well, I, mean, I mean, just think about how, how glorious this is. Jesus, by his death on the cross, as we, we heard from last week, he nailed the record of debt to, that stood against us to the cross. And so we're free of that. We've been totally cleared of all charges against us. And so now we're able to draw near to him in, in fellowship, being uh, found righteous because his righteousness has been imputed to us. And that means that there are no rules and regulations that we have to work at really hard to try to get God to like us or work at really hard to get God to draw near to us. All we have to do is draw near to Christ, and he has done that through his spirit in the body of the church. And so we enjoy a freedom as God's people that cannot be equaled. And so the key truth, I think, for this passage is just, it, is just this. In union with Christ, we are free to enjoy newness of life apart from all lifeless rules and regulations. I almost said all enslaving rules and regulations, and that's true too. They're, they're lifeless and, and they're enslaving. And so let's see it specifically from the text. Picking up in verse 16, Paul says this, Therefore, 
let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Therefore, I, I, love, I love the therefores of Paul. You always know that something really good is coming when you see a therefore when, in one of Paul's letters. And what is this therefore? Well, it's the therefore that follows up on verses pretty much 18 through 15. And remember, in those verses, Paul is saying, um, don't be held captive to philosophy and empty deceit and to the spirits of this age, uh, which once held you down. Don't be held captive to these things um, that hinder you from following Christ, that hinder you from being able to draw near to Christ. And, and remember that you, you're not to be held captive by these things because the record of debt that stood against you has been nailed to the cross, and so you're, you're been declared righteous in Jesus' sight. And so, therefore, that's what follows now, therefore, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. And what Paul wants us to do is resist the judgment of, of false teachers on, on questions of food and drink and festivals and, and holy days were to stand totally free from condemnation. And the reason is that these things at their best, are but a shadow of the reality we possess in Jesus. They, they pointed to him, but we have the body of Jesus. We actually have the substance of, of Christ. And, and that's how we're to know what to resist. The, the question we must always ask in, in really anything is, is what I'm getting Jesus or something lesser? Is what these teachers are giving me Jesus or something lesser? Is what this media is giving me something is it pointing to Christ, or is it something lesser? In all the spheres of life, in all the things that we encounter, we're asking ourselves, is it Jesus that we're seeing? Is it Jesus that we're pursuing, or something lesser? And, and this, is, you see, is something very different from resistance to judgment just in general. The whole world could probably get behind the idea, don't let anybody judge you. That, that's, that's in keeping with the spirit of this age. We all like to be free from, from judgment. But Paul isn't saying, don't let anyone judge you, full stop. He's saying, don't let anyone hold forth anything other than Christ for salvation. You see, the difference is we've got to ask, is it Jesus that I'm getting or something lesser? And I've got to have a judgment that, that's true and, and lasting, that comes from the one who made me. We're all looking for the affirmative judgment from our maker that says, well done, good and faithful servant. My whole soul delights to rejoice in you. Did you know that that's a, that's a blessing that you enjoy as believers in the new covenant, that God delights to rejoice over you? It's how he describes the new covenant in Jeremiah 22, or 32, excuse me. He, he, he says, um, uh, I, I can't, from memory, I can't say the whole thing, but he says, you know, I will rejoice in doing good to you all, with all my heart and with all my soul. I mean, that's amazing. The creator of the universe would, would say that what, one of the, the benefits of the new covenant, one of the benefits of my um, sending forth my son to take upon the record of your debt and to draw you near to me is that my whole soul will rejoice over you. And, and what Paul then is trying to get us to see is that's the judgment we've been given in Christ. That's the, the true and lasting and firm judgment. And that's what, we've been, that's what our whole soul was made to rejoice in and, and to be glad in, to be glad and satisfied in God. And, and so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the judgment of Christ. And we've been given that in him if we've been united to him by faith. And so we must rest in that and resist anything that would detract from that, would, would say that the judgment of Christ is somehow less than sufficient, 
that Jesus is less than supreme, that something has to be added to him, that we have to do more to get him to love us. No, we have to rest in him alone and resist all enslaving rules and regulations which would hinder us from knowing and enjoying God. And so Paul says we lose sight of this fact by fixing our faith and hope in things that are merely a shadow of Christ. And so rather than walking in Jesus, we act as though our correct actions and strict observance of religious duty are the sorts of things that enable us to know God and bear fruit in every good work. But these shadows were always meant to point us to Jesus. We uh, have Jesus now. We have the body. And so God's people have the fullness of Christ in him. And therefore, we must walk in him, fixing our hope in him and understanding everything in relation to him, and especially how we may become more like him. Now, the, the shadows that Paul mentions, these festivals and, and Sabbath days and dietary laws, that's old covenant observances that pointed to uh, the person and work of Christ. We, we sometimes, to use the language of uh, the theological trade, it's sometimes called the apodictic law, and that just means the law that showed us something, the law that showed us Christ. And these things, um, these things are set aside now that we actually have Christ, now that we actually see him, we possess the substance of him. And, and, and so some Christians, they hear... Um, Paul saying, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in regard to a Sabbath day. And they take that to mean, well, that must mean we're free from keeping the fourth commandment, which, which God said, set aside one day and seven to um, rest in my finished work. And so they say, well, clearly Paul means that we're not meant to keep the fourth commandment anymore. But I don't think that's what he means. You see, when we, when we Point, when, we, when we lay hold of these things that are meant to point us to Jesus, what we're getting and what we must remember is that we're getting Jesus. And, and so if we try to um, use these things to get something else like favor from God or uh, closeness to him or the assurance of salvation, then we're using them in a way that they weren't meant to be used. And so it misses the, the point of what Paul is targeting if we say, well, Paul means we're not meant to keep the fourth commandment anymore. Um, but rather, we must see that what he's trying to get us to say or to see is that we must lay hold of Jesus in all the things that we do. When we pray and when we read our Bibles and when we set aside a day to rest, what is it that we're doing? Are we trying to do these things to get God to like us? Are we doing these things to try to get some favor from God or merely just to get through the week? Or are we laying hold of Christ? And, and so the debates within the Colossian church were about the best way to celebrate the Sabbath. Do you do it on the Lord's Day, um, as had been the custom of the early church, or do you, do you observe the, Jew, the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday? And there were all these debates, and, and Paul is saying, look, that misses the point. The point is, you have Jesus, and now you get a day to celebrate him and to know him and to fill your soul with meditation over who he is for you. And so don't let anyone pass judgment on you on the, the way that you celebrate the Sabbath. You're free in Christ because you have him. You have him now to, to use these things to know him more deeply and to know it deep down in your heart that he is for you and that he loves you. And so when we hold fast to Jesus, what we're doing is we're taking the, the means of grace, like worship or, or singing songs or praying or reading our Bibles, and we're using these things with the spirit of faith and saying, Lord, help me to know Jesus better. Help me to become more like him. Help his passion for you and his desire to obey and his love for others, and his total commitment to the Father's will, to be my will too, to be my heart, to be the direction and, and shape and trajectory of, of my life, and, and help me to know deeply that Jesus loves me, and I'm united to, united to him, and that all the things that I used to do to try to get God on my side, or all the idols that I used to pursue to fill this ravenous heart and all the emotions that, that 
we're continually searching for something to, to latch hold of and, and, and be found satisfying and, and to love and rejoice in, I have in Jesus. And he is my creator. And his word is the lasting word. And his judgment is the lasting judgment. And he is sufficient against all the um, rules and regulations and all the old covenant observances that I once used in, in a sort of vague and, and shadowy way and didn't always see clearly that Jesus was meant in them. And now that I have him, I have the point, the thing that they were all pointing to. Lord, help me to know that. And so in all these things, what we're trying to get at, in fact, what God is giving us in them, is Jesus himself. And so we need to, hold, to, to grip this fact and have it sink down deep into our hearts and not let um, debates about trivial things, debates about minor things, debates which obscure Jesus or miss the mark or um, get us focused in on ourselves to, to, to get in the way of, of pursuing Jesus and knowing him um, as, he's known for, for, as, as he knows us in the new covenant. And you see, so many people pursue such empty shadows because we don't know the first thing about the way that God works in this world. We think that a calling from God is like a big, uh, a big help-wanted ad plastered across the universe that's you know, planted out there by God just for us, and then we're meant to respond to it with our superior skills and abilities, and so we get out there and, and we just go to work for God. But the reality is, as, as Paul says, that one of the effects of being united to Jesus is that we're united to him in his church. We're, we're knit together as, as his body. That, that's an amazing fact, that Christians live in community together. Our ability to help um, other people to know God, to, to grow the size of this family, and our ability to know, help each other to know God more deeply, to grow our spiritual maturity, doesn't come from anything inherent to us, because we might have superior knowledge of the Bible, or a good speaking voice, or just, you know, really outgoing, gregarious people skills, or, or a thousand other things. It comes from being knit together to Jesus. And so the more we hold fast to Jesus, the more we know who he is for us, and the more that we know who he is for his church, and the more we lean, on, lean in on these um, truths and, and these facts, the more and more we'll be enabled to be a benefit to one another. The more and more we'll be enabled to serve and love each other as God calls us to. So we ask ourselves, how do I grow the church? How do I do great things for God? How do I make a difference in this world? And one of the answers that Paul gives us is, love the church. Be committed to the church and seek to build her up through union with Christ. You see, the emphasis goes on us when we turn to, to rules and regulations to try to get God's favor. It goes right back where it's not meant to be. We become the center of attention. Um, our problems and, and our solutions to those problems, the questions we ask and the answers we think we can give become the center stage when we turn to anything other than Christ to try to serve one another, to try to build up our own souls in the hope of the gospel. But when we turn to Christ and know who he is for us, and the more we lean in on that fact and use the means of grace to grow in our knowledge of, of him, the more we'll be enabled to serve and love, love each other well. That, that's the, the wonderful fact of the gospel is that it knits God's people together. And so any philosophy, any tradition or way of looking at the world which makes us love the church less is really a philosophy that's contrary to God's will for us, contrary to Christ. I just love the way we, we said it to everyone who's joined Christ Community Church. Cameron said it to me when I joined the staff a year and a half ago, that, the, that what success looks like for all of us when we leave Christ Community Church, whether it's because God calls us somewhere else or, or Jesus comes back or anything in between, what looks like success is we love Jesus more 
and we love the church more than we did at the start. And, and what a wonderful, what a wonderful and, and encouraging thing it is when we fix that as our goal. Not that we would get a lot of people in on Sunday morning, or not that we would build a really big building, or have a really great name in the community, or, or all these things. Th- those things are wonderful things. Those, those are good things to aim for. But if we try to aim for them in any other way than by being united to Jesus, by having as our goal that we love Jesus more and we love the church more than it, we did at the start, we're going to start off on all sorts of left feet. We're going to try to do things in our own strength, and it's not going to work out. We're going to try to love each other well, and then conflict is going to come up, and we're going to be like, man, what is, the, what is the end goal of this? This seems really hard. Or we're going to try to um, spread the gospel and, and, and have, a, have a, a message of hope for our community, but it's going to fall flat because people are going to look at our lives and recognize that's not where our hope is. We're hoping in all sorts of other things. See, we got to start from the, the, the foundation of who we are in Christ, and, and that's really the most amazing freedom because we're free from having to have all the answers in ourselves. We're free from having to um, make things work in ourselves. We're free to take risks. We're free to fall flat on our face and know we can get back up again. We're free to make a mess in relationships and trust that God, through the means of grace and gospel reconciliation, will unite us together in love, and we're free to walk that hard, difficult road. And so I, I just think it's, it's, a, it's entirely biblical. It's entirely keeping with Paul's Uh, admonition to us, his admonition to the Colossians when we say that the goal for us ought to be that we love Jesus more and we love the church more in everything that we do. And that really should shape and direct every uh, meeting that we have, every Sunday morning worship uh, worship service that we gather together to, uh, every small group meeting, every interaction in the day-to-day lives that we have together as a church and with our neighbors. How, How am I seeking to love God more and love his church more in everything that I do? You see, oftentimes I think, and I've struggled with this before many times, um, we, we tend to treat Christian community or, or even the worship on Sunday morning as sort of like a gas station. You, you know, you're, you're feeling kind of low and unempty uh, throughout the week, and then you go on Sunday morning to kind of get a boost, to get filled up. And uh, once you get filled up, you go out into the world to pursue your sort of separate ends and interests without any connection to the church or the body of Christ. And until one of those doesn't pan out, or it just doesn't seem as fulfilling as you hoped it would be, or it just kind of all runs amok, and, you know, it just gets difficult, and then you feel empty again, and you go back to church to kind of start the whole process over again. But the biblical view runs against this, and it's precisely because the biblical view encourages us, really commands us, to hold fast to Jesus in everything that we do. And one of the effects of that will be, as Paul says, that we're knit together in love. And so, in everything that we do, we're gathering together to say, Lord, how can I be part of the work that you are doing in your body, in this world, in this church, in the lives of those around me that I'm worshiping with? And how can I participate in that because I'm united to Jesus and don't have to pursue separate rules and regulations, don't have to try to figure it out for myself, but I've been invited because I'm free in Christ to participate in the things that he gives me in the gospel. And then how can, I, how can that overflow from my own heart into joy with these people and a desire to love them well and to serve them, and, and, and that to fall back on me as God's grace and, and love and mercy and, and the tangible subjective experience of his love is, is mediated to, the, to me through the, the ministry of my fellow saints. That's the biblical view. Not that we run out and, and try to do our own thing on our own time, um, but that we gather together as God's people and find ourselves knit together as his church. So I ask you, how can we help each other to hold fast to Jesus? 
again, it, it might be one of those questions that if we've been Christians for a while or been in the church for a long while, we, we sort of feel like we should have down pat. But I think we often need to reflect on uh, how, we're, how we're doing at this and, and how we can be creative. We've been set free to creatively explore all the ways in which God can be honored and we can be consistent with his word in building each other up and helping each other to hold fast to Jesus. And, and this gets at half the answer, at least, um, as we think about how has our worship and fellowship with other Christians helped us to grow in knowing, in knowing and living out of our union with Christ. So how in the past, you know, even six months or a year, or maybe even just the past week, how has your worship and your fellowship with other Christians helped you to do this, helped you to be knit together with one another in love, helped you to hold fast to Jesus and forsake all the things that, um, that, that presented themselves as an alternate way or as an addition to Jesus to try to get more um, than, than he gives you? How has holding fast to him been the key to living out the Christian life in your work or in your relationships? I, I appreciate the way that Hanley Mole, who was a Uh, 19th century theologian, uh, sums up Paul's admonition in these few verses. He says, the whole aim of Paul is for the fullest, deepest, and most watchful holiness. He wants his Colossian converts above all things to be holy, that is, to live a life yielded all through to their Redeemer, who is also their master. Fullest, deepest, and most watchful holiness. And, And what a, what a, counterintuitive way of thinking about Christian freedom that often is. That we often think of Christian freedom as just, here's the bare minimum of the faith, here's exactly what you've got to confess, here's exactly what you've got to do, and then you're free to just go off and do what you want. But, but Paul's aim is that we will be so full of Jesus and so committed to the things that he draws us into in the new covenant, that holiness will really pervade all through our lives. And, and that is a kind of freedom that we have that is exactly opposed to the kind of enslaving regulations that we try to latch onto to get God to like us, because we don't have to make sure that we get these things to have that effect on our lives. We, we, just, nearly, we just merely need to go to Jesus and, and, and find in Him the satisfaction of our souls, find in Him the supreme and sufficient one who's drawn us into the new covenant because of His love for us, and not anything to do with ourselves. Well, let's turn to the text again, picking up with verse 20, and see how Paul fleshes this out a little bit more. He says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, asceticism and the worship of anything other than God, like the worship of angels, which is something that it appears the Colossian converts were at least tempted to do, and personal revelations with tedious details and debates about Old Testament shadows, is the religion of those still alive in the world. The basic principles have control and authority over those who are are already condemned, and these regulations are really the heavy chains that bind them in prison. They have no value, though, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, the very thing that condemns those under their power. You see, when we stoop to human precepts and, and teachings and really anything that is inconsistent with belonging to Jesus, we stoop to these things because we're trying to get something other than what we have in Jesus. 
The power that comes from belonging to Jesus can come in no other way than in belonging to Jesus. And so we're meant to hold fast to Jesus and reject anything that's inconsistent with belonging to Jesus. And, and going after human wisdom and human teaching gets you a merely human result. And oftentimes it just reveals that what we're after in the long run is a human result. We're, we're, we, we haven't been filled with, it, with, the, with the desire that we ought to be filled with for the things of God. We want an easy life or the American dream or a thousand other things. And, and so when we, we pursue, and we recognize, though, how inconsistent with the, the Christian ethic, how inconsistent with belonging to Jesus that is. And so we fill our lives with all sorts of rules and regulations that at least have the appearance of righteousness, that kind of make it seem like, well, you know, I'm on God's side. I'm trying to do the things that he commands. I'm trying to live a decent life. But that's not actually belonging to Jesus. And these things don't have any power in stopping the indulgence of the flesh because it's still our flesh that's in charge. It's still our worldly appetites that we're trying to satisfy. And we all know, even if we can't articulate, articulate it so precisely, that, that belonging to Jesus means giving up the authority that we thought we had over our lives. And for, for natural people, for people who haven't been um, brought into the kingdom of, of God's glorious gospel, who haven't been shown that God is the answer and the satisfaction to the deepest longings of their soul, that just kind of rubs you the wrong way to, to be told that you're not the, actually the final authority in your life. And so we do things that kind of show that well, we can get away with it, maybe. We can, we can do A, B, and C, and, and God will still be on our side. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's no, uh, there's no power in the self-affirming practices of the Colossian heretics, and there's no power in the self-affirming practices that we try to get at to get God uh, on our side, to get God to like us, to, to get favor with God outside of Christ. And so Paul's point is that if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you've been filled with him. And this is your reality, whether you recognize the implications of it all the time or not. And it's oftentimes just because we don't recognize the implications of our union with Christ most of the time that we need to hear about it so much. But it's the truth about us, whether we always can articulate it very well or not. And, and it means that the record of debt that stood against us, that, that warrant out for my arrest, that, that said of me, guilty, has been nailed to the cross. And there's now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. And so everything that the world tries to get through its false religions, everything that I once tried to get through walking after things other than God, you know, I don't have to, I don't have, to have um, a testimony filled with, with rampant um, sinfulness to know that in my heart I am the most wicked person in this room. I don't have to know that... Um, I don't have to have experience with, with uh, rampant degeneracy to know that in my heart, I don't value God the way I ought to value God. I, I, don't have to, uh, I don't have to have experience with these things to know that that's the way the direction of my heart is going to go if I don't fill my heart with the good things of the gospel, if I don't pursue Christ in, in everything. And, and this means that for me, the, the, the key to living faithfully, the key to, um, to laying hold of the gospel and living it out of having it sink down deep into my soul that it be, so that it becomes a part of, of who I am is, is not focusing on myself. It's not trying to, to, to live out rules and regulations that um, would just enslave me, again, to my own flesh, but, but is, is instead in holding fast to Christ, in, in doing the sorts of things that enable me to remember who I am as a son of God and who you are as, as people of God. 
in, in laying hold of the means of grace, in, in, in Bible reading, in praying, in worship, in preparing my heart for worship, in engaging with, with all of my faculties in worship. These aren't things that I'm doing to, to satisfy God. These aren't things I'm doing to try to get salvation. These are things I'm doing to live out my salvation, to know God deeply, and to be filled with Jesus so that that pervades the whole of who I am, and I can serve God in the way that he, in the strength that he provides, and I can serve my fellow saints in the strength that he provides. So the reality if, for you, if you've been filled with Jesus, is that you are no longer other, under the dominion of sin. You don't need rules and regulations to overcome the chains that bound you to their power. You have Jesus. The righteousness we get from Jesus is sometimes called an alien righteousness. And the spirit that indwells us um, as believers is sometimes called an alien spirit. And if the main idea you get from that is that the righteousness we have from Jesus and the spirit that indwells us is a righteousness and a spirit from another world, you'd have the right idea. It's not anything to do with the things that we can conjure up or that are out there in the world, or come from our own ideas, our own heads, or our own flesh. It belongs to God alone, and he has given that to us in the gospel, and we've received it by faith, not in anything that we've done. We've received it by trusting in him, and leaning upon him, and found him the supreme and sufficient one. And so you can have as many wise insights in this life as you like. You can abstain from all sorts of pleasures. You can be severe even to your body, but unless you have an alien righteousness from Jesus and an alien spirit animating your spirit and pushing against the sinful flesh that once had dominion over you, these things won't serve you at all. And so the amazing thing about Christian freedom is that it is a freedom to pursue and treasure and worship and adore and set our minds on only what can give us freedom from sin, to live in a God-glorifying way, namely Jesus. And this is what it means to be free, to know and hold fast to him. Man, what, what, would, what would this place look like if, if we leaned into this truth even more deeply than we do? Well, how much, much uh, more of, of God's Spirit would, um, would be the, the, the drumbeat of our lives if we would lay hold to Jesus and, and, and recognize that we've been free from uh, rules and regulations. We've been freed from the um, enslaving patterns that we used to try to, to live in to, to get God on our side, to live in a way that was pleasing to him, and instead embrace the means of grace as the means by which God draws us to know him and experience him more deeply. Oh, that we would better know this truth and live it out, and that it would animate and encourage us to be constant and encouragement to each other and to be diligent in pursuing God where he may be found. And so, I ask, how has your understanding of your union with Christ helped you in stopping the indulgence of the flesh? Another way of asking this is really, do you often think over the difference in your life belonging to Jesus makes? And what role uh, has this played in your growth as a Christian? You know, worship is, is the, the response to God's invitation, join me, join me in exalting in God. So much of the Bible is the setting forth of, of God's actions in the world so that we will pause and say, wow, what must be the nature? And how deep must be the love? And how long-suffering must be the patience? And how strong must be the power? And how deep must be um, uh, the character of, of such a one as this? It, it, so it's not about what we do. It's about what we get to do. The, the, the means of grace, these things, are not things that we do to get God to respond to us, to love us, or to hear us. 
No, no. Th these are things we get to know to, to know him more deeply, to experience him and be satisfied with all that God is for us and in Jesus. And hear me, I don't say that as a sort of cute, cliched way of, of evading or not reckoning with the fact that oftentimes we don't want to do these things, that oftentimes the Bible does seem boring, or we are slow to pray, or sometimes on Sunday morning worship just doesn't seem all that enjoyable, and it's, it's difficult to engage, and it's difficult to, to, um, to really lean in on these things. I understand that. Hear me. Uh, you know what it's like to fall out of love with the world? It hurts. It hurts. Uh, Paul said, um, speaking to the Corinthians, in, in all of his labors to serve the church and to know God more deeply, he described it as, I die every day. Or, or in Romans 8, he, he says, um, we haven't been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We've been given a spirit of sonship, as, a, 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 of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And when we do that, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And then, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And so there is, there is a battle to be waged in our hearts and minds. Not a battle to be waged to do the sorts of things that get God on our side, to get God to love us, to get him to favor us, but a battle to be waged in our own hearts to love the things that are lovely, to love and enjoy the things that are good for us, to, to know God and experience him more deeply. We, we have to fight this, and oftentimes it is going to feel like we're dying, or it is going to feel like it's, it's just hard and not something we want to do. But we remember in all these things, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us and many of us. I, I know from, from speaking to so many of you that that is your testimony, um, that you have gone through seasons in which the Lord has just been so near and so sweet and so dear to you, that his word has been opened up to you as you've leaned in on these things more and spent more time thinking over them and how it affects your life. And, and what an amazing testimony to this, how good God is to us to meet us in, in these things. And, and what an encouragement that is to us to pursue these things and to know that our freedom in Christ means that we can. That's what I'm aiming for, right into the center of, of glorification with Christ. Well, what in this life could be worth more than that? Nothing. And, and if nothing, what, what, what could be uh, challenging for me to give up in order to get that? What, what, what could I possibly, like, I could lose everything in this life, and, and most of all, the thing I need to lose the most, my pride, in order to get that. And, and it wouldn't be anything. Not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And, and so much of our ability to, to hear reproof and to hear challenge and, and to receive it with joy, that's a crazy thing, to receive reproof and admonition with joy, comes from knowing that we're not our own. We belong to Jesus. And in all of these things, he invites us to know him and to be satisfied in him and to enjoy him. And so belonging to Jesus means I'm, I'm free to be challenged and, and not be laid low. I'm free to enter into the way of obedience and, and fall flat on my face again and again and stand up again in the knowledge that my performance is not the final word. I'm free to know that the law that once stood against me, that, that record of debt, that warrant for my arrest, has been nailed to the cross, so that I'm free to lean upon the Spirit in newness of life and, and walk imperfectly. Oh, my goodness, how imperfectly. But in the hope and the confident expectation that God will help me because I have an alien righteousness from Jesus. So I'm free to pray and be bad at it. You know, the, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and, and He helps us in our weakness because... We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And I'm free to read my Bible and not always understand it. I'm free to to engage with it, with other Christians, and ask, what does this mean? Help me to understand. And, And Lord, help me to understand. Help me not to be bored with your word. Help me, Lord. And then I'm free to re-engage and go back again. And we're even free to sing. We're free to sing. We're free to think, here I am, as a child of the living God, in this place, with this people, and perhaps I don't have the best singing voice. Or perhaps not every song is, is, uh, is my jam, as the kids used to say, anyway. <laughs> Or, or perhaps I'll have to adjust the... I've got Cameron going, uh-oh. <laughs> perhaps I'll have to adjust the, the way I've, I've sung songs before. Perhaps I'll have to sing old songs in a new way or, or new songs in an old way. But, but I'm free to do it. I'm free to do it. I'm free to love God and love this people and enter into worship with them and, and testify to my own soul and, and to this people and to the world. God is with us and, and he is good. It's fascinating to me. It really is fascinating to me how much of our, our tastes and, and likes and dislikes and just the, the general, what we find enjoyable, is molded and shaped by relationship. But I think if you think about the trajectory of your own life, you'll see that it's true. It's the biblical, it's the biblical witness. And so, love God. Be free in Christ. Be knit together as a church. Love the people he's knitted you together with in this body and see what he will do. What, what freedom, what amazing freedom we have in Christ. And so, what does Colossians 2, 16 through 23 teach us? Well, at least two things. It teaches us that we're free to hold fast to Jesus as we, grow, as we grow in our knowledge of God and obedience to him. And it also teaches us that we must not submit to the slavery of human regulations that have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. As I say, things that, if we've been Christians for a long while, may seem like uh, old hat, but things that we deeply need to know and love and and hear often over and over again. We're free in Christ. We're free in Christ to love him, to be freed from all the things that would obscure him or present themselves as something better than him or something in addition to him. We're free from all those things. So we're free to know him and love him and pursue in the means of grace a deeper and richer experience of all that he is for us in Jesus. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what what a wonderful truth it is. What a wonderful a gift you've given us in the gospel, not merely to uh, make us not have to pay the penalty of our sins, but of drawing us near to you, uh, of giving us a freedom from all the things that we used to latch on to or pursue to get favor with you. Lord, um, I, I feel in my own heart just the, the weightiness of these truths and, and, and the glory that, that they represent, and I feel how inadequate uh, oftentimes my language can be, just the thoughts that we think about these things. But Lord, I ask that you would do what I can't or we can't do as, as merely humans, and uh, by your Spirit, implant them deep into our hearts so that it would affect the way we live. It would affect the way we think about you, the way we think about the church. It would affect the way we enter into worship. Uh, that would enable us to pursue you in the means of grace with all of our hearts and all of our uh, souls and all of our might. So, Lord, I ask that you would make us people who pursue you with everything we've got. In Jesus' name, amen.